Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, all right, all right. Good afternoon, everybody. It is quite a late night for me, but um, I'm honored to bring you these two guests. Um, it's been a little bit since I've had the one on. I want to say I just had one on not too long ago to talk about his film on Oppenheimer, which is absolutely fantastic. So you should definitely go check that out. Um, anyways, sorry to be about 10 minutes late, but you know, no big deal. I'm sure you guys will be here in droves and we'll shoot the shit and it's going to be a really, really good show. So um, I won't keep you guys too long in this part of the show. Make sure you hit all the links below to figure out what I got going on. You think I would have this mastered now there's nothing over here but yeah go uh to tigerfitness.com as you can see if you want this shirt or any of the supplements protein cla branch amino acids pre-workout you name it i just ordered a ton of stuff for my wife and i for christmas i uh, make sure you hit those links below elementy as well the world's best electrolytes i put their chocolate um specifically chocolate caramel in my coffee every single morning it's fantastic and um yeah i think that's all i got and um yeah let's rock and roll what is up everybody my name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. Good evening, everybody. I've returned with my two dear friends, Connor Freeman and Patrick McFarlane. I feel like it's been a while since we've all been together, but uh, I'm glad we could finally make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. Way too long. Good to thank see you, you for thank you for having us on kyle yeah of course no i um you know every single time we talk it's always uh a good time and you know i 
think you two are probably some of my favorite people that I've met ever since I started podcasting. So it's always cool to uh, talk to you guys. Um, Pat is uh, Pat and I were kind of shooting the shit before the show. He kind of fell off the face of the earth, but um, you know, he's kind of been nose of the grindstone and Connor. I know um, specifically since October 7th, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, I know you've definitely been nose of the grindstone as well. So um, yeah, Pat, um, what do you got going on as of uh, lately? Yeah. Well, I, I, um, we had, we, my, my wife gave birth to our, our son in our third son in July. And so things have been trying to get situated with three kids and you know, the older ones are getting more and more squirrely and rebellious. It seems like as time goes on, but, um, like as far as, as business goes with my law practice, it's been like pedal to the metal people coming in. Usually they wait till after Christmas. It's like stay together for the kids until for one last Christmas and yeah. then we'll go knock on the divorce attorney's door. So, but it's been that. And I got a couple, um, I got a big criminal case I'm working on. That's going to trial and was supposed to go December 12th. And then now is scheduled for January 29th. And I have a big suppression motion that I'm working on that. Hopefully I will win that I should win according to the <laughs> law. Um, but it's just a matter of, um, you know, it's the judge is not super keen on suppression issues, so mm. miss that opportunity to sub. Anyways, how are how are you? Oh, dude, excellent, and I'm glad you're here. Um, I also want to ask about Oppenheimer Part Two. I know you just dropped Part One, and that did really, really well for you. Uh, yeah. How's that going? Uh, it's going, man. I mean, I haven't been able to work on it very much, but there's maybe five pages written so far that I just need to to find time to work on and and put time to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah dude i got you well like i said earlier and like you were telling me off air um i know you've been busting you know your fingers to the bones so that's awesome and uh connor i guess i'll give you the uh, floor to kind of let everybody know what you've been up to lately and like i said i know you've probably been busy with uh all the stuff around uh israel and gaza but also the, some stuff going on over in uh the Asia or in the indo-pacific as they might say <laughs> yeah absolutely well i've been uh still working over at antiwar.com and libertarian institute we're doing our fun drive right now so uh over at the institute and antiwar.com actually uh in my opinion the two most important projects on the internet and uh of course at the institute we're publishing a ton of books um and uh and kyle and i are holding down the news section and doing conflicts of interest uh, he and I record a show every week, so we've been covering just a ton on the war on Gaza. And of course, like you said, you know, they haven't slowed down in the escalations in the South China Sea and continuing the Asia pivot. In fact, uh, there was a great piece Kyle wrote recently for the Institute where you had our old friends John Aquilino, the head of Indo-Pacific Command, and Eli Ratner, the uh, China hawk who Congress all but demanded that Lloyd Austin have like attached to him for his term as uh, Pentagon chief. They just gave this press conference where they go, hell yeah, we can fight three wars at the same time. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what we planned. <laughs> so, um, and uh, it, it was, is it's unfortunately, like you would think that maybe, you know, we were laughing about this, that you, you might get the sort of naive idea that, well, they're getting bogged down now in the Middle East again. And it seems like things in Ukraine are slowing down, even though they're still trying to get that additional 60 billion. Maybe this will kind of take the temperature down in the Asia Pacific. But then you would think that maybe Ukraine would have kept the temperature down in the Middle East. And then you could see that they're still trying things with North Korea. We just you know, sent another nuclear powered submarine up to South Korea, threatening to nuke the North again. And so, of course, there's never any relenting. 
um, especially with this administration and this ideology that's so damn pervasive now. Sorry, mm -hmm. goddamn fly. But there's oh, um, there's uh, you know, we're still dealing with the neocons running the foreign policy, or at least the people operating off of the same old Wolfowitz mm -hmm. doctrine. So it's kept me busy. But I've been focusing a lot. I wrote a big article with Scott at the end of October, Scott Horton, mm -hmm. the director at the Institute about, uh, you know, the history of the Likud parties uh, and the right wing Israeli establishment more broadly, their support for Hamas, the Islamist movement, which emerged out of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. And to use that as a counterweight to divide and conquer the Palestinians and to undercut the more secular nationalist PLO, who said they would recognize Israel and negotiate a two state, uh, you know, they're a Palestinian state at 67 borders back at the end of the 80s. And so there's a reason why it hasn't happened since. And it's because Likud never wanted to do that. Uh, the Israelis never wanted to do that. So, yeah, well, I, I got to say, it's awesome to see that uh, you've been plugged absolutely ever, including on Joe Rogan, which kind of had to be surreal to be brought up in uh, that context. Um, absolutely. I plugged, yeah, I plugged that article to somebody today who uh, said, well, it's hard for us to, uh, it, you know, it's hard for some Jewish people to live next to people who want us all dead. And then I kind of was like, all right, well, no, that's not quite the full story here. If you look at what, you know, Ben Gurion was saying back in the day, it wasn't exactly, well, you know, from the river to the sea, right? It wasn't like the naivete perception of that, that people think that right wing or that, uh, that left wingers are talking about like, no, he was saying some brutal stuff back in the yeah. day about the Palestinians. And, uh, I'm going to show a clip a little bit later on of, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on, um, Jimmy Dore show that I think you'll enjoy. But, uh, one thing that's been surprisingly uh, under notice, and I shouldn't be surprised by it because we talk about it all the time, but, uh, with all the arms packages going out, they're still trying to jam aid in for Taiwan, but everybody leaves that out. Every single time they talk about arms packages, they never bring up the Taiwan's in there too. They'll say, Oh, they're trying to send all this money to Ukraine and Israel, but Taiwan is always in there too. So why do they all leave that out? You know? I don't know. Kyle made an interesting point on one of the more recent conflicts of interest episodes where he said that, you know, instead of rolling that supplemental funding package for Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, and then the border money, like they should have rolled that all into the NDAA. But there's a reason like they didn't want to have to pass a, a trillion dollar plus military budget, even though Robert Higgs, the great Austrian economist, along with some others, uh, some other economists, uh, from you know across the political spectrum, found out more than a decade ago that we spend like at least one and a half trillion dollars a year on the whole military, national security, state budget. But he said in an article as far back as 2004, um, I forget the name of the book. I have a book by Robert Higgs. It's a collection of his articles during the Iraq, the early years of the Iraq War. And uh, there's an article in there called "The Defense Budget Is Bigger Than You Think," and mm -hmm. you can look that up. But he says. Effectively, since the beginning of the launching of the war on terror and the D George W. Bush, that first administration, that the rule of thumb you can use is that the real military budget, the real national security budget is almost always roughly double the nominal defense budget. So now we're spending $886 billion just on the Pentagon nominally. And so, I mean, there's so much there. So they have to hide it because you're talking about, you know, hundreds of billions to the VA and the interest on previous wars, the CIA, the DHS, um, you know, care and feeding for nuclear weapons, all the other intelligence community apparatus, uh, all the other parts of the intelligence apparatus. And so, um, you know, as far as the Taiwan aid, it's just not as sexy right now, I guess, as, you know, keeping you, you Zelensky fighting, you know, certainly for the Democrats, because if Ukraine really gets rolled over here when Russia launches its 
offensive now that Ukraine's counteroffensive has just abysmally failed. Um, and there's no way they're getting that other 20% of their territory back in uh, Luhansk and Donetsk and Zaporizhia. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just not getting any of those provinces back. And so they... <laughs> I think the Taiwan aid is just not where it's at right now. Israel is the main focus and they want to keep that more or less moving. Just you still have, it's always division of labor. That's what Pat and I've been saying for years that like, we're going to focus on getting Kherson and Zaporizhia and the Don and the Donbass back. And then we have, everybody's focusing on Israel. Everybody's having to dance for the Israel lobby to show how obedient they are to Netanyahu and, yeah. and Likud. And so, and it's so embarrassing for every American to have to sit through this and be party to a genocide. And like, they probably have their hands full PR wise with all of that. This is a good point. I mean, if I were one of these hawks, man, I would just, I would try and like talk more about the China thing now because it's probably going to get you less heat. And uh, who knows, you might get mm. patted on the head for it, get some money out of it. I, um, I think, I think the thing with Taiwan, Connor, is that they, they have it's it's a lot more akin to Israel than it is to Ukraine because it's the bipartisan consensus when it comes to Taiwan uh, and it's the bipartisan consensus when it comes to Israel. With Ukraine, at least you have some people in the America first movement who are, you know, against that kind of thing. I like the quotations. <laughs> I saw something really funny this morning. Uh, not Clit, Kit Care, Kit Clarenberg. Is he from um, Mint Press, right? Uh, the Gray Zone. He, I believe he writes for Mint Press as well. He, he writes for everybody. Well, Definitely he, Mint Press and Gray Zone. Yeah. He tweeted something really funny this morning. was like, okay, Ukraine is officially over, guys. <laughs> Washington Post removed their Ukraine war tab from the, their banner, the top banner of their website. <laughs> so it's done. That's how you know it's done. It's going to die in darkness. There, there was, there was a, a plane, some plane from that only... Kremlin top brass uses landed in DC mm. in the last 24 hours from St. Petersburg. So I don't know. He was connecting some dots there, but yeah, well, you know what? I feel kind of bad. Cause I feel like every single time I plan a show out anytime ahead, um, something happens. So I want to find the specific oh, so you, that I had. You had an original Good. topic idea and then time passed in the new site. No, well, well, so basically, like I tweeted out today, Gaza question mark. We're focused on Trump now. He'll slaughter the Browns all the same. So dot 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 democracy. But uh, basically, yeah. like the point being is that you know since Trump got removed from the ballot in Colorado, which let's be honest, I really don't think it's going to stick. I think what's getting they this, they figured that people were bored with Israel Palestine. All the protesters went home, um, and people are now starting to calm down. They're accepting that hey, we're just going to fund a genocide over in uh, Gaza. So. You know, we need something else to get people worked up and freaked out about. So, you know, fuck it. Trump always gets people going. So we might as well just take them off the ballot. And then what's going to happen? Everybody's going to forget about it in a few months. And then you're going to hear about it in like some small, you know, bottom of the page newsletter that says, oh, yeah, well, the lawsuit fell through and decided to put him back on the ballot in Colorado. And nobody's going to care because it's going to be on to the next thing. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they'll like nuke a small section of the West Bank or something like that. And that's what everybody will be freaked out about next. Like, I, I literally think that's what's going to happen. And I really, Really could not be convinced much otherwise and hey maybe i'm full of shit but like i do not believe that trump is going to be removed from the ballot he's in my mind i don't think he's any kind of threat to the establishment he's he did the status quo on israel he did the status quo when it came to the military industrial complex people have like this faux image of him of what he actually is and connor i remember the article you told me about when uh, you went on a podcast with uh, robbie martin about the faux anti-war stance on the right 
And uh, yeah. this kind of gets to the topic that I really wanted to talk to you guys about is um just how the right was before October 7th and where it is now. And it's, it's just two completely different worlds. Like you wouldn't recognize Matt Gates before October 7th. And it was kind of funny because like he had a tweet or he was on Fox news or something like that, talking about it. And like, it looked like by the way his face was, he like realized that he was contradicting himself by saying like the goodwill of the money that we're providing Israel and they want to roll it in with the Ukraine money. And like, you could just see it in his face. Like this motherfucker is bought and paid for by the Israeli lobby because he will not dare speak out against the Israeli aid. Did you see that tweet of him? Um, like, uh, well, there's, I won't say what I was going to say, but like, you know, performing a sexual favor with his face on Marco Rubio. I mean, like he goes, Marco Rubio goes, um, I I'll find it. He says something about he, he, I put a bill forward in 2020 to extend Israel's aid on auto pay effectively another 10 years. Or something. Uh, yeah. And he, he said goes, something to the degree of like, Obama's oh yeah, yeah. Memorandum of understanding. And, and yeah. And he, anyway, so Gates goes, that was a wise decision, Senator. Thank you for keeping Israel's uh, taxpayer funding on auto pay. Israel will uh, yeah. Hamas. What a wise move, Senator. So embarrassing. So completely yeah. fucking delegitimizing. Even though I like him a lot for a lot of the things yeah. he's done, man, just this year. But we always knew he was such a Zionist. And uh, Kyle, you've kept such good track of that on Twitter, always pointing out like even – Cause you know, he, he's done some great things just like Absolutely. the squad has done some great yes. things this year. I'll fucking defend them too, because they were, they went to bat, they went to bat for Assange, just like he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did the same thing. Actually, I, let me double check that on Gates. Cause I know Massey certainly did. And Rand certainly did. Yeah. Um, but you got the squad who's good right now on Syria and Somalia because of Gates's resolutions that are coming out. They're good on Yemen and they're yeah. good on Assange and they're obviously good on Palestine right now. They were terrible on Ukraine the whole time. And uh, he's going to be terrible on this one the whole time. And he's not good on China either. Yeah, it's kind of sad. And I've always tried to praise him when he's good because like some of the bills that he's put forward are absolutely heroic and he should absolutely be praised for that. But like, it's amazing how many people want to tell me that, oh, Gates is so much better than Thomas Massey. And then like now that same crowd is dead silent they don't have a word to say now that you know he's gone full-blown neoconservative zionist over israel but you know thomas massey to his great credit and i will go to bat for him any day of the week he has been an absolute hero even since ukraine and just undeniably so to be the sole the lone no vote in condemning anti-Semitism. And not because he, I mean, he even said on Dave Smith's show the other day that he believes Israel has a right to exist and all this other stuff. Like he's not necessarily like in our camp, but he still, you know, voted against that to be the lone no vote. So, I mean, because he knows it's a bullshit pandering motion that's just supposed to please the APAC, you know, lobby. So like He's just an absolute hero for that stuff. And I actually got quote tweeted by Laura Loomer. I don't know if you guys recall seeing that, but um, I said he was the best that we have in Congress. And she quote tweeted me and said, oh, you guys lack principles or something like that. I'm like, are you fucking serious? You support Trump over Massey and I'm the one that lacks principles? Come My on, main man. takeaway from her debate with Dave Smith was that she doesn't just support genocide in Palestine, but more broadly across the Middle East. Like, oh, she's fuck. absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's hilarious that she said that. Um, mm. 
yeah, it's uh, it's it's disappointing to see what's happened with Gates and what's happened with the right uh, more broadly. Yeah. But I, you know, I will say this: I'm sure you're right, Kyle, that the intention of pulling this stunt with Trump right now, probably on both sides, is to distract as much as possible, suck as much air out of the room mm. of this on this war as they can, this genocide, this complete ethnic cleansing camp, which is, you know, it's going to really start to get worse in the West Bank because they've already killed over 300 people in the West Bank since the 7th, including dozens and dozens of children. They're depopulating entire villages, especially in yeah. rural areas. Um, and uh, I mean, it's they've already killed over, I believe, over 500 or roughly 500 Palestinians in the West Bank this year. And it's mm. been open season because nobody's paying attention to it. So it's like an ethnic cleansing campaign across all of Palestine. And uh I don't think that they're going to be able to stop the protests. I mean, maybe we saw a dip this week or something, but yeah. really the people that are out there, I really don't believe they're the same, same kind of people that are, you know, got to get home to see Caitlin Collins and the latest uh, rundown, you know, on what's going on with Trump, yeah. you know, cause I think it's a different kind of person actually that's out there doing these protests. I mean, I think what's really interesting is that the knee jerk hatred of the anti-war protesters. Okay. I'm glad you're getting to this position, point. Yeah so insidious it is so insidious we right. as libertarians i mean these are not q and honors you know we were joking about them earlier they're not blm rioting in 2020 using you know the george floyd thing as an, ex yes. as an excuse to like kill somebody or just rob a store um this is not I don't even know what else to get. These are not f social justice wars. The same. I've been waiting for this moment for years. Uh, I was laughing about this with Keith because Keith Knight, our managing editor at the Institute, because two things, when the, Ob the Osama bin Laden letter to America went viral, I was like, so happy, so happy. And so displeased with the tim pool response which to me reminded me <laughs> so much of the fox news shit i was suffocated with as a kid but he's a left winger people keep saying he's a left winger oh yeah yeah he's he sounded he sounded just like dick yeah he's just, he sounded just like fucking dick cheney and that whole deal i couldn't fucking oh, yeah. believe it oh yeah and then like look away everybody i'll explain it to you um you know and uh which is just the worst kind of message you can send to anybody or to try and blame it all on is I thought Clinton Dave did a great job they in did. that uh, yes. episode. Yeah. And um, the other thing is just the, the fact that libertarians and I think, right. I think we should always have, we should just like in those instances with those videos and those people who were waking up to that when they first read this bin Laden letter and did yeah. not understand that there were any grievances, grievances held by these Al Qaeda terrorists, uh, you know, anything other than they hate us for our freedom and they want us to live under Sharia law and they mm -hmm. want to overthrow our government. I'm sure that's what that's what I grew up with. That's what all of us grew up with. That's yeah. what all those kids who are going. Oh, they're college people or whatever, even maybe former service members, I think, in some instances who are going. Oh, then you realize in 2023 that bin Laden was right. Everybody's like, oh, he means that. They mean that he, we they want Sharia law. They think 9-11 was a good thing. Like, that's the dumb two-digit IQ interpretation that Tim Pool had. Yeah. And by the way, thank you to Tim Pool for all the great work he's doing, having all of our guys on his show and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but he's goddamn, it's just too good of an example. The, they're, what they're actually saying, if you take a reasonable interpretation, is they're having the same reaction that I did when I first read uh, Osama bin Laden's uh, Declaration of War Against Jews and Crusaders from 98 and his Declaration of War Against the Americans Occupying the Lands of the Two Holy Places. That, oh, wait a minute. 
they attacked us because of our foreign policy in the Middle East. The fact right. that we had military bases all over the Arabian Peninsula on their holy land, that we were supporting Israel and its illegal occupation of Palestine and its apartheid state. Not only that, but its invasion and occupation of southern Lebanon, where they were killing like 20,000 people and bombing UN shelters. Um, you know, you learn more and more that these are these are all grievances held by these guys in those years before 9-11. Right. And uh, also, of course, you know, the fact that we were supporting these horrible dictators in their region that were basically we were sub, uh, subsidizing. They were subsidizing our economy by selling oil at artificially low rates and then spending it all mm -hmm. on our American military industrial complex. And so you could totally understand where these people are coming from, even if you don't agree with their tactics. It's very important to have what they call strategic empathy in cases like this. Right. And with anti-war protesters, my only point is you got to look at them as libertarians, I think. You got to take a charitable view. And, uh, you know, if someone says that they're calling for genocide but can't provide you a quote to prove it, then you should be suspicious of that person, not the anti-war protester who's trying to stop a genocide that we can all see with our own eyes. And so it's just we'll get into it, about, of course. But I was just I was a little disappointed in people's readiness to condemn these people offhand when they're doing what we've been saying we wanted people to be doing for years and years, like where right. the anti-war movement goes. Everybody loves to make fun of, oh, the left, <laughs> that anti-war movement is dead. Aren't we great, everybody? Yeah. You know, I'm going to vote for Trump next election. That That's that same mentality. But once those people right. actually get out in the street, and not only that, they're protesting Israel instead of talking about trans bathrooms and Black Lives Matter, right. shit, you know, then they, they, they hate them even more than before. It's kind of crazy, yeah. right? But it shows you the priorities. Is this lesson duly applicable to the new right or at least to the right in terms of, you know, because I think there's a lot to be learned from, you know, what happened the last two or three years with the new right and then mm -hmm. the about face with Israel. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, you are basically who we knew you were the whole time, although we had great hopes for you. Yeah. What is the lesson duly applicable with the left? Like, so right now they're out there. You know, they're they're doing what we would like to see the entire country doing. Um, but when does that, you know, when does it flip flop and, and wears away? Because I think we there was a huge lesson to be learned from the emergence of the anti-war new right and then their fall from grace very quickly on October 7th and the days afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, when Justin Raimondo was was supporting Pat Buchanan's presidential runs and and praising him and praising him, but then calling him wrong, you know, when he fucked up big time yeah. in, in certain statements that he made. I just think that, you know, as us young guys, this is a huge learning experience for us to see it unfold in real time. And in some, at some times there was kind of, I don't know, backsliding in a way because we there were there were people who were arguing us saying oh, you're being you're being too hard on the new right you know you're you're purity spiraling yeah. when you shouldn't be and mm -hmm. you're you have these impossible standards and you should get rid of those maybe not get rid of those but just cool it a bit and, right. and i i think i don't wholly agree with that but i do in a part because it's like okay well we shouldn't in we should stick to our base instincts calling a spade a spade but at the same time, not overdo it, but also, you know, stick. That's with what the State Department should say if somebody questions: <laughs> Should we be funding Israel, given that it's illegal because of their clandestine nuclear arsenal? Like, oh, we're going to get into a purity test now. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, like basically, now, I've always been of the mind like you should praise people when they're good and scold them when they're bad. So like I was on a Tyler Yonke's show the other day and yeah, Tyler's great, but um, him and Andy Garbage Man were kind of grilling me a little bit about my admiration for, Kate, for Caitlin Johnstone. And I'm like, look, I've never said anything good about her economics or any of her other policies. But when it comes to writing anti-war, she's better than every single right winger out there today. I don't care who they are. Any popular right winger is nowhere near as good on anti-war issues as Caitlin Johnstone is. She's a dumb communist, yes, but she is spot on every single time when it comes to anti-imperialism. So are a lot of the other dissident left wingers. Uh, Abby Martin, Robbie Martin, um, Rania Kalik. I know that she was a little bit iffy on Syria, but like a lot of those guys from Breakthrough News... Um, a lot of the left wingers that I found, Max Blumenthal, Max and Aaron um, have been so great this whole time. Yeah, um, but you know, Jimmy who they, Dore, you know who they fantastic. are. You know who yeah. they are, though. I think right. that's the key thing. Is like, okay, you you know who they are. You you're familiar well, with, but their they're work. they're actually they're principally anti-war, though. Yeah, yeah, they so are. Caitlin credit, yeah. is legitimately as much of a hero in the in the anti-war movement as anybody across the whole political spectrum. I mean, she deserves all the admiration she gets. She deserves uh, libertarian support. I mean, if you disagree with her on any economic policy, that's fine. But if you go by Murray Rothbard's, you know, dictates, and I do, and especially in this case, that war and peace is the key to the whole libertarian business. And I'll just point out to people who like libertarians who want to go after her. First of all, she writes like five brilliant anti-war columns every every week i mean it's 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 to just to do that for several years and she's been covering ukraine yemen the whole asia pivot and I mean, right better about all than, of it absolutely and constantly promoting antiwar.com and the libertarian institute and I, I don't know connor if you ask justin raimondo caitlin's writing is vapid and and very shallow and doesn't bring <laughs> any facts to the table or analysis well justin you know I had I'm, I'm, a prickly pair to put it the to put it lightly, but you I'm know I will tell you this: I've spoken to Eric Garris about this, and yeah. Caitlin Johnstone when she wrote when she's written letters to endorse antiwar.com's fundraiser that it does a lot for antiwar.com, and oh, that wow. that should mean a lot to libertarians. It should you know that that she's not only extending an olive branch, but is continuing her support for us and to help, you know, boost us and, and help us, you know, continue to do what we do and to spread our message together because there's so much common ground we have with her. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just think she's a heroic person. And I, I love reading her. As, I, you know, I do too. And I was being facetious there, although oh, that exchange did happen. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But basically uh we're always told that she wants us dead which like i i argue this point tall blue in the face because it makes me so angry like look all my coworkers were more than happy to tell me that i should wear a mask and get a certain medical treatment from 2020 and 2021 and they would have been okay if it was mandated because they're scared of a cold and still to this day a lot of them are and about 50 percent of boomers like republicans believe that there should be mandatory military service so like if we really want to walk this line of they want you dead, then we could apply that to both sides. And look, I, I don't believe any of them really do. I just yeah. think they they like their ideology and they they're believe LARPing. that you're an asshole. Yeah, they, they believe that you're an asshole because you disagree with them. It's not that they're going to put a gun to your head and pull the freaking trigger. They just think you're an asshole because you don't fall in line with their beliefs. So like they're LARPing it, just a, like we are. 
<laughs> I mean, like, I mean, she wants us dead. She wants libertarians dead. Well, she certainly doesn't want Dave DeCamp dead. I yeah. mean, Jesus, she's constantly yeah. hyping him up, putting right. him, citing him in every article, sharing antiwar.com articles all the time. You know, there's a lot of us that I think are not on the list, on the kill list. The kill if list. If she somehow gets over here and puts together some kind of a militia yeah. to overthrow yeah, the she, government the, and starts the lady from, executing libertarians. The the lady from Australia is uh, going to drop by and, um, uh, you know, fill out a kill list of all pe of self-identified capitalists or anarcho-capitalists because that's just her ideology. So, um you know what? Let's uh, let's do this clip because I want you guys' opinion on this. This was pretty revealing for me. I thought it was uh, interesting. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I want you guys' thoughts of Vivek too. But like this specific part was like very, very telling. It's our job. Well, you you guys can hear that, right? Oh yeah. Cool. Intervene in conflicts unless it directly I, relates to the U.S. interest. I agree with you on that, but you have to do have some have moral leadership on what's happening when an ally of us that that we do support uh, financially is committing a genocide right out in the open, and but you will be appointing well, the. I would, I, wait, I hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You will be appointing the UN ambassador, and the ambassador has been consistently voting against any kind of UN action to stop what's happening there. So you will have a role to play, and so you can't just wash your hands of this. You will have a role in this. Well, so my role is, and I want to be clear about this because I'm not ducking your question either. Mm -hmm. I don't think the UN should be stopping Israel from doing what it's doing. And I, mm -hmm. first of all, I don't think wow. the US should be even subsidizing the UN. Let's just, let's just get to that. Okay. I don't think the UN really has a continued reason for existence or at least the US to continue funding it. That's where I'm at on that question. As it relates to the genocide point though, I, I just want to pause there for, for a second. Yeah, I, I appreciate the respectful way we're having much better than my dialogue with CNN or anyone else. And so we, we've agreed on most things. We might have a slightly different point of view here. I disagree on the genocide point. What does genocide refer to? The elimination of a race. Well, you know what? About 20% of the Israeli population is Palestinian. That's more than the black or Hispanic population of the United States. And you know, probably arguably the best place on planet Earth where Palestinians live the highest quality of life with actual civic respect is in Israel. So I do take issue with the issue of somehow just flatly using the word genocide which refers to the elimination of a race when so that was kind of mostly what i wanted to get at with this but like a whole he's got his definitions shit. wrong yeah but like it's just to say yeah i don't think that you should intervene and it's just the complete total obfuscation of the fact that like the u.s is implicated in all this and this is the same point the same point that scott made to uh what's his face out uh, will chamberlain and yeah. uh, tim pool like they said well the u.s just shouldn't be involved okay but we are and we continue to be and his his moral support which he has been very very morally supportive of israel um your moral support eventually does equate to monetary support because what's what's the difference here right you're not principally opposed to what they're doing and he even showed him a clip a little bit earlier on i'd be dancing all over the video if, if you know if i want to show you all this specific stuff but like he showed him a video earlier of them bombing a hospital in a neighborhood and his reply to that was continuously i don't think we should intervene but israel has every right to defend itself that was his point all along every single time he wouldn't say they shouldn't bomb hospitals it's bad they're killing kids his point every single time was we shouldn't fund it but israel has the right to defend itself so what can you take away from that 
the American people have a right to absolutely hate their political class and despise it with every fiber of their being because every one of these people is a lying sack of shit. Yes. And Vivek is one of the First of all, it was bad enough that his whole thing was like, I will go to war with China if anything pops off in the next few years because we really need those chips. Never acknowledging the fact yeah. that the U.S. Army War College's plan, it's been announced by members of Congress and former national security advisors that actually we're going to blow up those chips on the first day to spite China. Not a word on that. And the fact is like, it's enraging to my point about the political class that his position that if we can diversify our supply chains, supply chains for advanced semiconductors in the next few years, then I will revert from this strategic clarity policy that we will absolutely go to war with China. We just, you know, it'll go back to strategic ambiguity that that's actually way better than the status quo. But it's still yeah. unacceptable. And that's how horrible right. our political class is. To, to the point earlier, Pat's point about how bipartisan the China policy is. It's just exactly. that we're going to war. Right. It's a foregone conclusion. So there's no even reason to have a debate. Um, and the Republicans get to pretend that they're the ones who really wanted to do this when the Democrats are the ones behind it. Yeah, well, um, I, I did. Yeah, I did a little clip on Vivek on a show a couple weeks ago. It was actually right after Laura Loomer quote tweeted me. And he said at the debates, like very boldly, like the next U.S. president has to guarantee that we will defend Taiwan. I'm like, dude, you are a fucking psychopath. And even uh, I did a quote tweet of Mike Termott today where he said, like, we need to end strategic ambiguity. And like, oh, what are you doing? Like, this is unacceptable for any libertarian, especially in the moment that we're living in, where there's the largest arms buildup surrounding China right now. As we speak, even with the all the Israel stuff going on, um, to just say we need to abandon strategic ambiguity, like, are, are you fucking kidding me? Do you not read antiwar.com? Do you not read the libertarian, you know, sources that are available to you? Like, what the fuck is going on? Pat, I'm sorry, I, I cut you off, but I, it looked like you had something to say. What, uh, what was Vivek's argument again about why Israel's not committing genocide? Okay, so his point was, and I, I don't there know. There are Palestinians living in Israel that have a high standard of living. Is that his he argument? He said, uh, his argument was, I think he said 20% of the of the Israeli population is Palestinian, which like that point to me is so ridiculous because like, okay, well, what about all the people they're killing in yeah. Gaza right now? Like, d does that just well, mean, oh, th well, that's fine. They're, you know, they're. They're the Gazans. Article two of the Genocide Convention says in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy. And here's the operant phrase in whole or in part. A national, ethnical, racial or religious group as such a killing members of the group B causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. It's undeniable. D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. Or E, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. So, I mean, how could... So, if 91% of the people that live in Palestine have been displaced and they've killed, what, probably 20,000 people since October 7th, how does that not fall under? It's probably like at least 30. They're saying there's yeah. 8,000 at least people missing on account of Fort Barrett under the rubble. rubble last I saw. Yeah. So, and then. Um, How does this differ from the Uyghurs? Well, Just okay. The... Well, you know what's funny? You know what's funny that you bring that up? At the end of the video, 
Vivek started bringing up the Uyghurs. He did said, he? "Oh, they're the four, He did. He said four sterilizations on the Uyghurs. I'm like, oh. And you know what? To Jimmy's credit, and not that I thought he'd be bad on this, but he said, "Listen, next time we have you on, we can go into the Uyghur stuff." I'm like, oh my god, I love Jimmy. Yeah, but I mean, just just from from like the thumb yeah. test, does this look different than the Uyghur situation? The answer is yes. I mean, yeah. it's entirely different. <laughs> Clearly. You haven't seen all the footage of the hospitals they're blowing up right. in uh, Xinjiang? Yeah. You haven't seen that? Every day, I can't get off. I see too many on Twitter. I have to get off sometimes. All yeah, I, I swear. I, I, saw, I saw a guy with squinty eyes pulling a kid out of the rubble just yesterday. Right. I broke my There's heart. a moderately popular <laughs> basketball player who swears it's all true. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so... uh no, I mean, uh, well, what's crazy about all this, too, is like I was just listening to Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson on Judge uh, Andrew Napolitano's show, Judging Freedom. And he said that he was in to that exact argument. I think somebody else was making it that, look, the Palestinian citizens of Israel, the Arab Palestinian citizens are treated like third, like third, but really fourth class citizens. I mean, as Sheldon Richmond lays out in his book, they're given they're discriminated against when it comes to education, utilities, access to land. Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, if they want to marry a non-Jewish person, they can't do it in Israel. I mean, the, the, the society there is absolutely crazy. And these are just the people that these are just the people that were not ethnically cleansed during the Nakba. And so they're treated not like real citizens uh, of any stretch. And um, they always pretend that, uh, well, not pretend, but they act like they have a real voice in the government. But nobody makes a coalition. They've almost never made coalitions with the Arabs. They have no power. And to in, even be in the Knesset, I, you have to sign a pledge. Uh, basically, um, you adhere to the idea that Israel is a Jewish state, uh, which, and the reason why so even you know, it's reluctant on Palestinian factions to recognize Israel as a Jewish state because they would be throwing those Palestinian citizens under the bus. Um, you know, it, it's an ethno-nationalist state. The whole thing is geared towards preferential treatment for the Jewish population. And in the worst possible, you know, scenario, uh, expressions of that is what we see in the West Bank, uh, let alone Gaza. But I mean, Gaza is just a killing zone. I mean, it's a killing field. I don't know how else to describe it, uh, especially with what we're seeing. The reason, the, I mean, I agreed that it met, it fit the definition, the UN definition of genocide very early on uh, in this war. When I decided that it was definitely a genocide and was no longer even reluctant at all to use that terminology in, 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 you know, conversation with anybody is when uh, Herzi Halevi, the chief of the IDF, the chief of staff, came out and said that what we are going to do now to the south, the southern uh, parts of Gaza will be as bad, if not worse. I'm paraphrasing as what we did in the north. Yeah. The operations will be just as strong, just as thorough. And what that means is they're going to erase that part of Palestine. And you can see it in the New York Times satellite imagery. And they've destroyed well over 100,000, damaged and bombed and hit nearly or well over 100,000 buildings. You've, the, hot, the whole healthcare uh, system is decimated. Uh, yeah. I believe it's something like 80% of the hospitals are inoperable. Uh, and you're talking about, you know, they're start, the World Food Program is warning that a famine is going and diseases 
are going to just run wild throughout Gaza because they bomb the sewage, they bomb the water, they push these people into safe zones where they can't get, there's no bathrooms, there's no running water, there's no, uh, there's no medicine. And they're being deprived systematically of food, water, fuel, and medicine, and all the schools, the shelters. I mean, they're sniping women at churches, they're bombing mosques, they're bombing uh, refugee camps, and then basically going tough about it on CNN to the point where even Wolf Blitzer is like, I can't do this right now. We have to move on. The IDF spokesman is making me feel like a, you know, like it, it was shocking because Wolf Blitzer come, walked out of APAC and got the, those jobs in the main, in the corporate press. And even he has had to like swallow his, his pride and, and move on from these discussions with IDF spokesmen because he can't get over their callousness. Um, you know, we just had another Israeli official say they're going to, we're going to turn Gaza. Gaza needs to look like Auschwitz. We need to turn it into Auschwitz. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're saying like, we're ethnically cleansing it. And so, it's this forced, they're making it completely uninhabitable. And by the end of this, it's going to be tens of thousands at least that have been killed. And this stain will never wash off of us. Uh, I'm not one of these people that believes that because we're a democracy, we are responsible for the crimes of our government. But there is a sense in which, like I said, the stain we're does not wash yeah. off. We're placated in this because, you know, our government, a lot of our elected officials, a lot of the people in our culture are, you know, very supportive of this. So at a certain point, you have to realize that, like, hey, there is some culpability on people who have supported this. Not to say that, like, okay, well, we're equivalent as the people who are murdering people or the IDF soldiers. But at some point, you got to look and say, well, you supported this and this is what the outcome was. Uh, Pat, did you have anything to say? I want to get to a few chats and then I another video. I just think that... To be clear, the this whole genocide business is a political tool. And and I don't think that justice per se is going to be meted out by the UN or or even I mean, through all my work with the Uyghur genocide, I mean, from the beginning, the genocide question was always a political tool. Right. That being said, I take Scott's point, of course, that while these are the institutions we have in place. They are in place. We need to use them. I think it's a practical, and I hope I'm not strawmanning what Scott is saying either or misinterpreting it. But um, yeah, I do I do feel like like we should walk into the UN. And of course, I in in a way I agree with Vivek that well, I don't support the UN or think the US should, but the fact is is that we're prosecuting uh, a genocide, you know, if I could use that term after just you know, saying it's politically charged in every case. Of course, it's going yeah. to be. But it's I think that the genocide term is probably used as a sword more often than it is as a shield. But all that yes. being aside, what is happening? If anything is a genocide, what is happening right now probably is. And um, again, the evidence has to be overwhelming. And I think it is. Right. Just from my outset. So we can all see it every day. And it's the fact that it's 70 percent women and children and the right. fact that they first denied it. And they said, but yeah, you can't and trust they those numbers. Saying, they come from yeah. us. It's like genocide denial. It's like Holocaust denial. Right. And then they came out and said, Kirby, I've never seen anything like this. And stop me if you guys have. But John, in my lifetime anyway, because, you know, we were always told that our wars were being fought for the right reasons. Right. Uh you know, even if they were complete bullshit, we were at least play, as you say, placated with bu with bullshit stories that made us, right. you know, feel good and patriotic. And I'm proud to be an American and where at least I know I'm free and all that. This was Kirby getting up there going, um, 
Many thousands of innocent civilians are dying and will continue to die. And we are going to facilitate and underwrite all of it and continue supporting it. And you have no choice because this is our, you know, national security. They already, I mean, Blinken went to get that emergency act uh, to send over uh, more than a hundred million dollars in artillery and, and other ammunition, small arms, am, uh, small arms and ammunition for Israel to continue its war on these civilians. There's, Pal there's a war on Palestine and uh, not Hamas. I mean, they would not be carrying it out in this manner if that was even the case. Um, and I think it's debatable under international law that Israel has any right whatsoever to fire a bullet into Gaza. Uh, and it's kind of sick that we pretend like, well, you're, they're just defending themselves. Um, well, that, like yeah, that's what, they all, that's what they always say. Um, I want to get these comments. Conrail yeah. sort of reminds me how libertarians thought Blake Masters was a Rothbardian when he was a neocon on many issues, including <laughs> China and Israel. So we're, we're going to get to this. I got a clip that I want to show you guys. And then I, JC, he read Rothbard 10 years ago. That's good enough for me. Right. Yeah, that's that's what we kept doing. OK, so. Yeah. <laughs> OK, but here, here, this is what I wanted to show you guys. And I quote tweeted this or I shared it. Because I, I think this was what we all expected. Okay, yeah. Oh, God, this? this is my favorite clip. I've watched yes. it like 10 times. It's my <laughs> fucking favorite clip. College kids today really seem to hate Jews and support literal Islamic terrorists. It's disgusting. A lot of you are wondering, how could this possibly happen? You think it might have something to do with the decades of left-wing indoctrination that we've just let fester in our schools? Normal people understand that the Israelis getting attacked here, they're the good guys. The jihadis doing the attacking, they're the bad guys. I'm Blake Masters. I'm running for Congress here in Arizona's 8th District. And I approve this message because we're going to defund the schools that teach anti-Jewish, pro-jihadi bullshit. What a faggot. <laughs> Dude, that is honestly, uh, if they added that on to the rest of the commercial, I think it would do a lot better because people would just, oh God, they would be like, it, well, whoever the guy was at the end that said, what a faggot. He, I really agree with him. That speaks to me. Yeah, I'm sorry if, if, if you get a, I hope you don't get a video removed. Or no, 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 no. I've, I've said faggot plenty of times. Well, that. here's, here's the deal. It, if they were sleeper cells being activated, would it look any different? It's like yeah. this message is just primed and has been primed for decades. It just fits on like a velvet glove. Oh, these left-wing college campuses are breeding grounds for jihadi sympathies. That's yeah. what it is. You get, we, you guys thing. really hate Jews. You really just hate Jews. That's what it yeah. is. And, and you know what's funny is I have not... I've literally only seen maybe one person on Twitter say, like, I think what Hamas did was right. And that person was absolutely wrong. Like, I think everybody who's in the anti-war movement and who even is anti-Israel, I think pretty much everybody would agree, like, the fact that Hamas killed as many people as they did, they should absolutely be held to account. But those same, you know, a lot of those people won't also say, like, hey, well, Benjamin Netanyahu, hang this around his neck. All those deaths by Hamas are all his fault. Nobody wants to have that conversation. They just want to say, oh, well, they're terrorists and terrorists do terrorist things. No, well, who propped up the terrorists? Explicitly so. 
Like we can't ever talk about that. And fucking Blake Messing and talk about that. Fuck you, dude. You're just saying, you, and yeah, I agree. Let's defund the schools, but not because they teach anti-Jewish hatred. That's bullshit. They don't fucking do that. Let's and, defund them because they're fucked up and they, they're, you know, held up by public taxpayer dollars. I, I'm even tired of making the disclaimer. Like I'm so sick and tired of yeah. being an anti-interventionist and being like, yeah, what they did were bad. You know, I'm not like mocking you or anything, but it's like, fuck yeah. you. At some point, it's like, I mean, this is the song and dance for for everything. Every oh, well, you're a fucking Nazi. Oh, well, you're yeah. a fucking, you know, you <laughs> like not song. an anti-Semite. You're, you're a towel head. Now you're yeah. an anti-Semite. You know, I got like, anti-Semite a few times. Like, and and I'm not even, I mean, <laughs> what do you expect? If you're in the Palestinians' position, what do you fucking expect people to exactly. do? Exactly. I mean, do you expect? Well, Pat, I, I heard they had uh, strip malls, so therefore, and they had Snapchat, so life there can't be that bad. Oh, and, That's and what I was can, told. They can swim in the ocean, Kyle. Yeah. As well, they can swim in the <laughs> ocean. Not to mention the fact that you know Israeli warships shoot at them sometimes, mm -hmm. occasionally. It's, it's just occasionally. It's a tropical <laughs> paradise. It's it's a desert <laughs> paradise, is what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like the new uh abu dhabi essentially mm. they have a shopping mall they have yeah. swimming places you know well pat you sent over an article where without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They had to use like generators, like loud gas generators to keep the mall running. I think wasn't it you that said that? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've been getting for years. They've been getting a few years of electric, a few hours of electricity <laughs> every day, and it's not predictable when it comes. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, what, and like you know, it, it, there's a great documentary people should watch called uh, "Gaza Fights for Freedom" uh, that Abby yes. Martin made, and it mm -hmm. opens with the kids not being able to go into the actual water to go swimming because it's very dangerous you'll get killed by the idf if you go out more than a few nautical miles especially fishermen and one of the problems is they've destroyed water facilities and they've contaminated the water so much in all these previous bombing campaigns that everybody pretends didn't happen uh before right. the seventh even though they killed thousands of people maimed thousands and thousands more uh and blew up destroyed tens of thousands of homes displaced well over a hundred thousand people by i believe 2015 after the siege so less than 10 years after the siege was imposed um and uh yeah i mean it's the the treatment of the palestinians if you just watch the first 20 minutes of that movie you'll get an idea of it and these people have been living in rubble this, effectively this whole time and so yeah it was so disingenuous for those people to show a couple of those resorts that had gotten some qatari money or whatever to try and pretend that like in other words and by the way it's like how is that supposed to make me all the propaganda that comes from the israeli apologists like almost after the first week has just been people 
looking for a re like how do i not feel horrible for supporting this can you give me a reason to get me through at least this right. day and then maybe we'll come up with something else tomorrow like that's mm -hmm. what it is like the, everybody who's doing this is so disingenuous C keith and i went to um america fest this weekend uh which oh, was yeah, yeah not as horrible as you'd think i mean was there's nice people there point? whatever turning so much or? is real bullshit though oh yeah yeah, yeah. and there was a table a show with uh tucker carlson uh oh yeah I, I believe he was there i just we were he wasn't there the day we went but there was gotcha. a table there's a couple of tables doing a lot of israel pushing and i got into an argument with a guy who was saying who's from israel who's a rabbi and he was saying like well first of all i mean it was a lot of the same stuff vivek was saying uh and worse to be honest i will tell you this by the way when you confront a real zionist about the unnecessary exposure to terrorism that americans are faced with as with 9-11 for over our support for israel i can just tell you they don't care and they will tell you in not so many words that they don't care and one of the greatest lines i've ever heard in my life is a guy who comes to america fest from israel to advocate on behalf of a foreign power and its war which is being funded by the american taxpayer look an american libertarian in the eyes and tell him i don't want your money we don't want your aid. Then why are you here promoting Israel at That's America Fest? Turning point. It's Jesus really uh, embarrassing. It, could, and um, could the I, thing I hate most about this is the fact that the American people just do not have a choice. It's the yeah. most despicable thing about this is that we are having all we're covered in all this blood and then effectively mm -hmm. mocked at the on behalf of a foreign power by our own ruling class. It's so yeah. embarrassing and so disgusting. I, I wanted to clarify what I said before, too, a little bit. It's like I, I don't, you know, people like Scott and people like us and people like me in the past, we always have this need to clarify, well, I'm not a Hamas supporter and what they did was terrible, whatever. And it's like I I understand why you do it. It's the social psychology of it. Right. But it's yeah. so fucking tiring. And I wish we didn't have to do that. But we fucking exactly. do. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, like because that's what people lump you in with Hamas supporters when you say that and, and like all five of them. <laughs> no, go tell right. go well, talk to a hardcore Zionist and they'll tell you we're not killing civilians. And if we are, it's it's righteous and good. They, they right. will say that. Yeah. They don't have to. They don't make any apology. In fact, you know what they actually say? We're talking about a stateless militia that has no power comparatively to the Israeli occupying government. None. These people do not have an air force. They don't have a Navy. They don't have air defenses. They don't have an army. They don't have nuclear weapons. They don't have F-15s. They don't have F-16s. They don't have heavy bombers. They don't have drones. They don't have tanks. They don't have any of that. They have rocket launchers. These things we disingenuously call rockets that are completely indiscriminate. You can't even aim them correctly and cause next to no damage relative to each one of these bombing campaigns Israel yeah. launches against the well, besieged people. Well, people kept saying, Gaza. what, um, uh, Hamas blew up their own or Hamas blew up their own hospital, which just made no sense. And I, I talked about it with Kyle when he was on, um, I want to say probably like a month ago. Um, why would Israel put out a fake call lying about you know the hospital bombing if they didn't do it um i mean it's possible if yeah, they didn't it's, do it it's but once again yeah why why would you lie about it if you didn't do it like you, you wouldn't have anything to hide then in theory right but you know the funniest thing to me about that whole ordeal was the same people who said oh my god look hamas bombed their own hospital or like oh we don't know if israel did it those were the same people that said like oh my god they beheaded 40 beheaded or they 
beheaded 40 babies and there was no proof of it and then as soon as that came out to turn as soon as that turned out to be false they you know there was no walking that back but we'll jump on the hospital story so it's it's yeah. like people's biases just go on full fucking blast and that's and that's the most frustrating part for me like if you're pro-israel then just say that and say like hey you know maybe i interpret the news a little bit more the pro you know i err on the side of pro-israel I, I get it then, but just admit that you're wrong from time to time. And eight out of 10 of them are still using the beheaded babies trope, yes. the mass rape trope, all that shit. Yes. Like they do not, they don't feel like they have to ever walk it back. Mm. Uh, uh, babies baked in ovens, all that stuff. Yeah. Pat. I was just going to say the rape claim was bogus too, never substantiated at all. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and yeah, so it's crazy. It, it, it's. And, really is government by emergency i mean we've been in it for at least 20 years 22 years government by emergency uh, just conroe, in the recent iteration of it yeah conroe had a good question here I, I can ask a question what do you guys think of the intensity of the escalation of hezbollah and israel going to war i know um rania Kalik from breakthrough news has covered that quite a bit um uh, my understanding, and you guys would know this way better than me because I'm not as well read on Lebanon, but um, my understanding is that uh, Hezbollah is actually pretty, uh, how do I put this, like a good military, like they don't fuck around. And when Israel went to Lebanon in what was it, 2006, they got their asses handed to them. So um, I have to imagine that probably over the last almost 20 years, they've probably beefed up a little bit and probably a little bit more ready to take on the IDF. But then again, Israel also has a very, very advanced military as well. So I just imagine if they really went to war with Hez, or um, if Israel and Hezbollah really went at it, I think it would just be a lot of drone strikes. Like they're already doing to Syria and, um, you know, Gaza as it is. But I think that's what they would probably do with Hezbollah. Um, once again, you guys would have more insight than me. So maybe you could tell me why I'm wrong or if I got that right. I think Israel's a paper tiger, just like our military is. I mean, any military that we prop up with our you know, weapons and equipment. But I think, I don't know, and maybe Connor, you know this, but is Hezbollah a conscripted military? I'm not sure, actually. Let me look that up. Because I don't know, like, you know, modern conscripts. I don't know. All the idea of forces just strike me as being like a TikTok army. That's, that's what <laughs> yes. it is. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. true with America to some extent, but yeah. Israel really seems to me like a TikTok army. But do you, okay, but so you think a lot of Israel's might then, or well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I guess we would agree then that like a lot of Israel's might is air superiority. Like they wouldn't have on the ground kind of forces. Actually, you know what, the more I think about it, the more that would seem to be correct that they don't have a lot of ground forces, but when it comes to air superiority, obviously they're heads and shoulders above most other militaries. Yeah, just, I mean, I guess just armchairing it, but I, yeah, I don't think... I mean, maybe they, they have enough to defend Israel from outward aggression, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they have an insurgency in their own borders. Or, I mean, mm -hmm. like, you know. Uh, no, the Lebanese Armed Forces does not practice. Uh, their military itself, so I'm, I'm assuming Hezbollah doesn't, but there's no draft, not since 2007 in Lebanon. Okay, um, so that was, that was a, I'm guessing, when... Um, Hezbollah beat back the IDF, right? A year after, yeah, up to the 2006 war. So, okay, well, then I guess I kind of asked the or begs the question then, like, why would they conscript people after they already kicked the IDF out? 
Uh, there's still there's still some uh, my understanding is there's still some Israelis occupying some territory in the very south of Lebanon, but it's not nothing approaching the occupation that was it, that they had in the 80s and the 90s during the wars then, and and certainly not in the war of 2006. Uh, my and also I believe they have somewhere between 100,000 150,000 missiles pointed at Israel. Uh, and so they can inflict some very serious damage. And these are not at, at all like what Hamas has with these little rockets that have nails and different things. And I'm like, this is they they're a formidable military force that can bring yes. a lot to bear. And they've been hardened throughout the war in Syria, which where Israel was backing Al Qaeda and Al Qaeda affiliates and ISIS actually flying as their air force in several instances, um, especially in the south uh, near Go the Golan Heights, which they've stolen from Syria. Um they the Hezbollah was killing those guys the whole time with the IRGC, with Iran, uh, Iran's forces and the Russians and the Syrian Arab army. And, you know, the real thing here, too, is is um, <laughs> I, I'm just the, the, the thing that's crazy to me about all this is that, first of all, Israel has something like between 80 and 300 nuclear weapons. And they're the only country I can the only government, the only country I can think of that is uh, insane enough to start a nuclear war right now, much more so than the United States. Um, I mean, these people are completely fanatical and we should have nothing to do with them. And especially like that Netanyahu faction with Itmar Ben-Gavir and, uh, well, his, you know, the, the radical settlers that he's brought into his government, like Itmar Ben-Gavir and his Jewish power party, um, Bezalel Smotrich, the finance minister is effectively the governor of the West Bank because of this new position they created for him in the defense ministry. And these guys are just you know, the term in our circles, blood soaked monsters gets thrown around a lot, but it's very yeah. apt here. And, um, you know, if they start, whether they, they attack the Houthis first or, or Lloyd Austin does, doesn't really matter if they attack, if Hezbollah, if the war gets going here in the North in, in earnest, um, and Hezbollah brings all that force to bear and vice versa with Israel, uh, they're going to be fighting the whole axis of resistance. I mean, Iran won't be able to stay out of that. Syria won't be able to stay out of that. You're going to have the Houthis. You're going to have all the Shia militias in um, Syria and Iraq, the ones that are directed by Iran and the ones that are not really directed by Iran anymore. Uh, you know, this many years after the ISIS wars, um, they become more independent, but they still have all the same nationalist interests and reasons for wanting to target the American bases illegally uh, on their land. Um, certainly in Syria where they're stealing their oil and their, and their wheat resources. And Israel been, has been bombing Syria every week for years and years and years. And there's a lot of built up hatred against these forces. And that's why they call themselves the axis of resistance. Who are their enemies? I'm not saying these are great guys by any stretch at all. Yeah. Um, especially the Shiite militias in Iraq carried out horrible war crimes against Sunni civilians during, um, uh, again, when we were backing them against the ISIS caliphate, that was a result of our policy of blowing up Al Qaeda to, with money and arms to help overthrow Assad, um, you know, during the Obama years. But these people, um, I mean, they, they have, they have every reason they've, their enemies primarily have been the United States proxies of Israel and Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. uh, Saudi Arabia's proxies, uh, of Al Qaeda and ISIS. I mean, that's who these guys have cut their teeth fighting all this time. And they hate, and they know that America is behind every one of these wars. And that's why then Yemen, they call it the American war, the American Saudi mm -hmm. war. It's not the Saudis war. Um, and, uh, that's why you see the Houthis. I mean, Putin made a great point early on in all this, where somebody said, asked him about sending aircraft carriers to, uh, sending aircraft carriers to the uh, to the Mediterranean to deter war. He goes, oh, you think that's going to scare people? 
let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in that region who are not scared of anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's very true. I mean, you look at the Houthis. Again, not not good guys. They've committed war crimes. They really have. But they're the only, just like Hamas, they're the only armed resistance for those people. I mean, the, the Yemenis have more guns than Americans. But I mean, in terms of actually being able to fight off the American-led coalition, the Saudi-led coalition that was destroying North Yemen, bombing every kind of civilian infrastructure you can imagine, putting the country under siege. The only force that could actually contend with them were the Houthis. Um, and you have the same situation here with Hamas. And that's been true at least since 2021 during Operation Guarding the Walls when Israel started bombing Gaza because they sent rockets over in response to what Israel was doing in East Jerusalem, evicting people from their homes in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood and brutalizing Palestinian civilians during uh, Ramadan uh, and, and early May um, in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in Islam, which they do every year, by the way. People can look up what they did earlier this year. It was absolutely awful. Women, children, doesn't matter, just brutally beating them. Israeli police on camera in, in a mosque. Flashbang grenades, you know, rubber bullets and everything. And so um, the, it's we're, we're fighting this. I mean, this is crazy. What they're doing is as bad as what could happen with China or Russia because Israel might use nuclear weapons. And you're going to get the U.S. into a war now that's going to dwarf the post 9-11 wars we've been fighting, which cost trillions and trillions of dollars and killed conservatively or led to the deaths of more than four and a half million people, according to uh, Brown University's Cost of War Project. So you know, one just- one thing that's been crazy to me is uh, seeing the Israel defenders. And for those who don't know, this is the first time I've brought up on this channel, but I'm going to be debating uh, Roger Mayhem on the 29th about uh, pro-Israel versus anti-Israel um, as libertarians. And um, I, I'm going to have to listen to some of his arguments. Um, it's very, very interesting how you could be, to to put it kindly, a uh, pro-Israel um, libertarian because uh, Israel's founding was basically a very, very large property rights violation, at least in my estimation. Maybe there's more history that I'm not aware of, but I, I sincerely doubt it. Um, but you know, we're always told that Israel is like this incredibly moral army because they do leaflets and they, you know, give people, what is it like 24 hours notice to evacuate a hospital, but like, uh, you're still bombing a hospital. I don't care how long you give people to evacuate. You're, we're talking about people who can't move, who need to be in there for medical care. And you're going to just going to bomb it. How is that? Okay. You know, Dave um, made the point on Rogan that, like, you know, if there was a terrorist or somebody in uh, elementary school, you know, threatened to kill children, if you told them, like, we're just going to bomb the elementary school, people look at you and call you fucking insane, rightfully so. But for some reason, when we do it in Gaza, um, it's just perfectly fine. You know, don't worry about it. That's fine. We can do that because, you know, those are lesser beings, lesser people or whatever. Um it's it's crazy to me so like I, I think i put out a tweet and said like if i warn somebody that i'm going to forcibly sexually copulate them then does that make it okay for me to do it because that's basically the argument that people are they're laying out i've been saying this whole time just privately and i think a few times on twitter that i can't imagine i mean serial killers sincerely have so much more dignity and grace than the idf uh, and the, and the apologies for Israel. I've never seen anything like this. Um, just, you know, again, you're, you're mass murdering thousands and thousands of women and children. The primary victims of this bombing campaign are children and then women. And 
to constantly be framing yourself as the victim in the midst of this, which we were already right. used to with Israel. It's kind of like what we were saying about the new right. We were used to them being horrible on China and going, you know, come on, dragging our feet. All right, guys, let me encourage you a little bit, but also try and get you to be better here. So we were used to the Israeli propaganda, the most moral army in the world. We dropped leaflets before we murdered dozens of women and children and, and, and men <laughs> yeah. in their homes. So like that makes it okay. Yeah, I think that makes does that make it kosher or something? I mean, I don't understand. And people are supposed to be we're we're supposed to sit here and go, oh yeah, well I never thought of it that way. Like before you murder a family, you should probably like send them a just note. let them. You should let them know that you're gonna kill them. Yeah, and it's um, it's insane. It's just, not only that, and in this instance of moving a million people from northern Gaza, then erasing right. their home and their land, their everything and they some, built and, on their land, yeah. generations, so and they have no yeah. place to go back. And, and in then some situations, going, go in here. Yeah it's safe and then bombing them and the fact that people with a straight face can call that moral self-defense proportional uh is just absolutely sick and we know for a fact from these great investigative reports that have come, been coming out uh in Haaretz and other israeli media i mean 972 mag they were deliberately targeting civilian infrastructure yeah. power targets uh, banks right. universities um you know civilian targets uh apartment buildings to to create what they call civil pressure on Hamas, but it's just naked collective punishment. Uh, in fact, it's even calling it that. I mean, to Pat's point about feeling like we have to apologize for October 7th before we oppose Israel, the whole rationale of this has been, well, we're trying to eradicate Hamas completely from the earth. So if you set that out as your military goal and you pretend that it, it's like as, as, um, you know, that's constantly compared to like, well, you have to defeat the Nazis. You have to defeat imperialist Japan. This is just like World War II all over again, except this time, you know, we're the ones with the concentration camp uh, that we're running or the death camp. And uh, there's really no similarity. But what they mean is this is existential. We must wipe Hamas off the map. So therefore, Dre look at Dresden, look at Hamburg. Look at Tokyo. It doesn't matter how many civilians we kill. We have to wipe all of them off the map so we can wipe Hamas off the map. And so by apologizing constantly and having to say that we don't support Hamas, what Hamas did was horrible. Hamas needs to be eradicated or eliminated or whatever. I think it feeds into that because very clearly the goal is not to eliminate Hamas. I mean, just logically, it couldn't be because you're creating how many thousands and thousands of recruits every day for mm -hmm. Hamas. I mean, it's obviously a final solution of sorts. Yeah. Um, Pat, do you got anything? Nope. <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. Uh, I wanted to make sure I get this because uh, our all our mutual friend Adam had uh, thrown in the chat. I'm glad he's here with us. Um, what are McFarlane and Freeman's thoughts on the future of the Israeli government after Netanyahu? Do you see the rise of the settlers in the Likud Jewish National Front parties? Um, good evening, gentlemen. Excellent conversation all around. Adam, I always appreciate you dropping by and always appreciate Love chatting that, to you. Uh, Thanks yes, so much, absolutely. Adam. Yeah, uh, Pat, go ahead. Go first. Yeah, I don't know what the what the reaction is here. I mean, do are people going to properly blame Netanyahu for fomenting the situation? Is is that going to spark you know the right wing um, nationalists in Israel even even further? I don't I don't rightly know. Well, Gideon Levy wrote a terrifying piece um, recently. Uh, it. Uh, it was run in the viewpoints at antiwar.com. So you have the archive version there. You can look up if you just go to antiwar.com and click the viewpoint section, and just search his name, control F. And it's something like the unanimous war. It's all about how 
unlike any previous war Israel has fought, which there where there was at least significant opposition to it within the Israeli, but not only the population, the body politics, there was, you know, real discussions here and give and take and people who thought, well, maybe this is what we're doing here is wrong. And we, and there was, you know, it was, there he even, but he said, he said in every instance, there was opposition, local opposition from the Israeli Jewish population. But in this case, it's just full clip support. Absolutely wipe them off the map, kill anybody you want. And they may have problems with Netanyahu. In fact, I've had arguments with ultra Zionists here, um, you know, like at that event I went to this weekend. And they're very happy to tell you that Netanyahu made a mistake supporting Hamas and that Hamas and that Netanyahu, you know, uh, even if he didn't intend this, you know, to, to allow this attack to happen, his negligence is so inexcusable and so criminal that he must be held accountable uh, and that he's a bad actor, even they'll say. But wow. their but. support their Yeah, <laughs> their unqualified support for his war, um, I think, flies in the face of any thought that we might get a reasonable uh, result from any of this, because truthfully, he should be the the biggest point I think that people should understand about um, just in general about what happened here wasn't just that they supported Hamas. It was that they supported Hamas while they were mass murdering Palestinians, expanding settlements and bombing Gaza, you know, in these small and larger scale uh, massacres, uh, you know, through the throughout the years since the siege was imposed this whole time and putting them on a diet, keeping them just above starvation levels, mm -hmm. creating a humanitarian uh, crisis, a slow motion humanitarian crisis, making these people live in rubble and just degrading every bit of their lives. Um, and that's like creating a, uh, it's like literally the, the, the recipe for blowback. And so these were horrific human rights abuses that were carried out. And that's why they were attacked. And the problem is, is that I don't think the Israeli population has reckoned with that. They would rather deal with Netanyahu as a, as a leader who made a, who made a grave mistake, who, you know, who's already facing his corruption trial and he was already getting <laughs> so there are hundreds of thousands of Israelis out in the streets protesting his judicial overhaul. He's trying to kneecap the power of the judiciary so that, you know, the Knesset could overrule their um, any uh, decrees from the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, Israel has no constitution, so it's just like a free for all. <laughs> the, the only the only democracy in the Middle East. That's what keep, that's what uh, we keep hearing. Wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. You yeah. could have an unwritten constitution. I'm, I'm not being facetious here. It's it's a real thing. Uh, Conrad Dan Cohen. Asked, I'll just say really quick. Dan Cohen yeah, has said that they've moved so far to the right, and that it could be even yeah. saying they have a left in Israel is like a, a misnomer because that what, what those people believe in, what they call the left, are people who support a humane occupation. Uh, like they, they, more aid should be more international aid should be coming in. We shouldn't be expanding settlements. So, much, so like but, basically, a humane occupation would be like you're still kicking people out of their homes, but you give them like band aids and like a suitcase on the way out. In practice, that's what you know you would get. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> and so I just I'm very, I don't know that I think they need a. I just don't see. I mean, I I know I'm sure Adam uh, understand uh, he agrees. I mean, I just can't see a positive outcome here mm. um, at all because they're they they've been so emboldened. I mean, you know, Kyle told me he spoke to somebody who had been an Israeli uh, settler while he was in college, I believe, who's who like who said that they liken in Israel the disengagement from Gaza in 2005, which was all 
uh, they admitted was about putting the peace process in formaldehyde. Dove Weissglass, the Likud advisor who was advising Sharon at the time, said that in an interview with Haaretz that, no, 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 we're pulling the settlers and the occupying forces out, but it's so we can put the peace process in formaldehyde and we can say forever and ever that we have no partner for peace because, uh, you know, it's disconnected from the West Bank and we're no longer there and Hamas is there. And so they've been doing this the whole time. So they can just keep building settlements in the West Bank, bombing Gaza and saying, oh, poor us, look, we have to deal with Hamas. And, um, but they view that as the Holocaust, the second Holocaust, pulling the settlers out of Gaza. So they look at this as retribution for the second Holocaust. They're going to get Gaza back. And that's how crazy that society is. Um, so I think if anything, they're just going to move further and further to the right. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I met Dan Cohen at last year's uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally. And I I didn't even know who he was at the time. We were just shooting the shit um, at the house that uh, Craig Possage Ardula had rented out. And then like when I saw him speaking and then I saw him on Twitter, I'm like, oh, this dude's like a big deal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but he's great. Um, Conrail asks, isn't this Israel's longest war? Is it still the war of uh, 48 to 49? Um, I don't know. Like I said, I'm definitely not the history guy in Israel. Uh, Connor or Pat, I'm sure you, one of you guys would probably know better than me. I I'm not actually, uh, to be, I mean, the war of 48 to 49, I'm not actually sure. I mean, we have the, the war from 47 to 48 is essentially a war on the Palestinians, with the Nakba, and then the uh, they got into a war with the neighboring Arab states. And so that technically went on for you know, longer than what we've been seeing in Gaza so far. Um, but it depends, I guess, on your definition of war. They're not really at war with a state now. So if we call this a war, then I guess it wouldn't be. Mm, okay. All right. So I guess one last topic I wanted to hit on, and then we'll probably wrap, is uh, kind of like the fall of the RFK campaign, and I guess like the hope for the anti-war movement as it stands today. Um Connor, it was really funny because when I had you on last, we were just bubbling with support for RFK. And then literally the day after, someone called him an anti-Semite, and he just doubled, tripled, quadrupled, quintupled down on his support for Israel. Um, I had high hopes for RFK because mostly out of ignorance, but... Um, the fact that he was willing to say that like China's an economic competitor and we shouldn't go to war with them. That's like the bare minimum I ask of any presidential candidate. And that's much better than Joe Biden and Trump. So it's, it's pretty sad to see that campaign go right down the tubes. RFK but is so bad that I literally rethought being opposed to the COVID vaccines. <laughs> I mean, I'm still opposed to them, but. I, I literally rejected the uh, vaccines are bad on their face argument or or position that I had. So because he yeah no I I, I guess I'm I'm sympathetic to that motion. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean the whole um, Kennedy is just you know a despicable human being. I mean to watch what's <laughs> happening with uh, Shmuley and the fact that he is just so completely you know, walked around like a dog with a leash attached to him. You know, if you actually yeah. follow Shmuley's account, you can unfollow Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as long as you follow Shmuley. And uh, you'll <laughs> see, you'll be able to keep up. He, uh, you know, he every once in a while, he he posts a video where he he pulls up Kennedy on FaceTime 
presumably in the middle of the night because it's always dark and it's like and here answers. i am with somebody who was at the music festival here i am with some family of the hostages here i am with the people that designed the posters that are you seeing everywhere on the streets of all the the missing hostages in the united states bobby would you talk to these people the jewish community the jewish people love you so much and you are such a great defender of israel we would like you to speak to these people. i mean you can just hear bobby on the phone even when he was doing that clip oh Max Blumenthal's wife, Anya Parenfield, had the funniest line. Those pic those pictures, those snapshots that Shmuley got of him on the Zoom call with the IDF spokesman where Kennedy's taking notes and he's just like, he's just like, he. she goes, free all Israeli hostages. Because like Kennedy is clearly like, I don't know if it's because of his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, you know, the times he was on the Lolita Express or his time with, uh, you know, his wife was friends with Ghislaine Maxwell there, but his ex-wife, uh, but maybe he really does believe all this stuff. It doesn't really matter. He's a he's unacceptable to us completely. I mean, he would get us into a war with multiple countries right now for Israel. That's his yeah. stated position is uh, and he says insane things um, since we last spoke. I mean, we didn't even we didn't get into this where he it's a revelation for me. He said that China and, and Iran, if you look at them now, are really one organism. That was Good a campaign Lord. speech. And he said, without Israel, China will blackmail the entire world. Israel is our last hope against China. So he completely made an ass out of me for the article that I wrote for the Ron Paul Institute, where I said, this guy's our last hope to oppose the new Cold War with China. If we have a prominent political figure like him to do this, he's completely flipped for Israel. Um, you weren't and, wrong. Uh, he was our you weren't wrong. He was our last hope. It's just that our last yeah. hope is gone. So we have no hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean now he's just gonna be shmuley's vice president i guess what yeah, I, I mean, i'd like to even hear what his argument is for for that notion the, yeah. the china or that israel is what our last what keep before china takes Ch over yeah, the Ch world china blackmails the world i like wasn't I'm, israel I'm, giving china u.s military equipment yes yes it, it's it's so baffling to me because like you could literally say anything about China and people just believe it on face. Like it, Pat, I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, but literally like the American people have been programmed to hate China. So you could say anything in the world about China and people just, yeah, sounds right. Won't, yeah. won't stop to think about it for a second. And I can't believe that RFK really took that sharp of a turn because early on in his campaign, he was, it was good. It was really good. And then just like ever since they just called him an anti-Semite, which just like blew my mind. He was even quoting um, antiwar.com. Like, how can you no, do absolutely. that? But then be like this crazy, insane Zionist and then just do a 180 on your whole campaign. Here, we can't give you a secret service detail, but we can guarantee your safety. <laughs> Yeah, and what was it? Uh, fourteen minutes, and then eighty-eight days later, right? Something yeah. like that. <laughs> That's how long it took for them to, you know, with the Epstein connection. I'm just like, I don't know, fucking armchair and spitballing. My yeah. favorite part is like, no one cares that you don't have Secret Service protection now. No one cares, and you're you you are not going to get assassinated because you haven't done anything to oppose power. You've completely sold out. There are people who really put their heart and all their soul into helping him and his entire 
like raison d'etre, at least since like what the just the summer. I can't even remember if he was bad on Israel publicly as you know before I went to Porkfest. But I know a lot. I know people very close to me who have been victimized by big pharma who absolutely saw him as their last shot. I mean, he had that whole constituency, the people that had been completely had their whole lives upended or destroyed, and their businesses killed, and their and even their own lives are just been completely debilitated by not only vaccine injuries, but just the effects of the COVID regime. Uh, whether you have people going to hell because of, uh, and I don't mean literally, I just mean like living in a living hell ever their substance abuse issues, spiraling out of control, their depression, people committing suicide, what's been happening to our kids, let alone the whole litany of crimes. Big pharma has committed against the American population that he has been a, yeah. maybe the most important prominent political public figure not political but public figure um yeah. fighting fighting all this stuff and he's completely thrown all that out the window for all intents and purposes uh and for, his yeah, opposition to the war with like, russia yeah. the proxy war with russia all this for israel it, i was so stoked when i thought you know nobody is telling is is opposing this asia pivot this it's 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 more lockstep even than policy on israel uh, you know, if you look at, there is, you actually can, there's more people that actively oppose our, our relationship with Israel in the Congress, just with the squad alone and the progressive caucus than right. there is. And I'm not saying they're perfect at by any stretch, but then to this China policy, um, which either you're totally for it and, or it's on autopilot. You pretend it's not happening regardless. We're going to war with China. And so for him to just and not only that, he was talking about getting our freedom and our liberty back. There were real reasons for libertarians to want to support him, for rolling back yeah. the power of the intelligence community. He said that we should never have – we should not have a CIA, essentially that he would abolish the CIA, that this is what dictatorships do. This is what countries – like. this is like what the Soviet Union would do. This is we're – we're not a national security state. We're supposed to be a constitutional republic. We're supposed to be a democracy. Right. And that's all debatable from like a libertarian historical perspective, but, um, you know, it's whether better, or not we're supposed yeah, to be democracy better than anything else, great rhetoric. And he's yeah. one of the few guys, like I said before, that can make you proud to be an American. Um, and now all he does, every time you see him, you're reminded of how unproud and how it's just, that's, he I, mean, just I became, mean, he, he was a pushover. He just completely just fell right over. It's like having your face like just shoved in the mud and just like spread around. Like he, he, if you support him now, you're like voluntarily opting to be humiliated by a guy who has no dignity whatsoever and no principles because he's completely like, I guess, you know, I don't know enough about this, but I know that Peter Dow, this apparat Democratic Party apparatchik, basically ruined the Cornell West campaign and the Jill Stein campaign. So they use people like this to hurt third party candidates. Um, you could even look at Jared yeah. Kushner as being like a leash on Donald Trump or something like that. Yeah. But in this case, it's so obvious that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. should publicly disavow Shmuley at least yes. and get away from this. Cause I even saw judge Napolitano saying like, look, I was at dinner with Gerald Salente and Scott Ritter and we were all talking about your Kennedy's policy on Israel. And we sent, I sent him a text. I said, look, I'm at dinner with these guys right now. We're talking. We'd love to sit down and talk with you, help maybe give you some advice or let you hear the other side of the argument. And apparently Kennedy sent him like a long winded text of like, I don't, 
I'm right about Israel. You're wrong. Everybody keeps telling me I'm wrong and I'm right. And I know I'm right. I'm doing, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Good defending Lord. Israel. And my father told me that they were tough and they were my father, my family, we've always supported Israel. And like, He's so insecure about it, and he's pushed people away from him, people who showed him goodwill, who really wanted to help him. Dennis what he Kucinich, needed was the, yeah. the people in the streets protesting these wars that he's shitting on and condemning and saying or you know, calling for genocide and defaming all these lies he makes up about. Those are the people who would have been supporting him in all likelihood if he had just stood on principle and been a true anti-war candidate instead of. Apparently, he was not an anti-war candidate. I mean, he maybe still talks a good game about Russia and Ukraine, but the yeah. China thing, he certainly is not opposing it anymore. He's, If anything, he's doing threat inflation cover for the war state by just using it as like, oh, yeah, Iran and China are going to completely block our access to Middle Eastern oil and shut our economy down, and Israel's our only hope to prevent that. It's It's so sad. And then I guess we could finish on our hope for the libertarian party which is uh a letdown to say the least um i put out a tweet today basically i'm gonna vote libertarian if it's josh or michael rechtenwald but like josh who i like he even had a tweet about john fetterman saying oh i agree with fetterman because fetterman is a zionist and a china hawk and and he said uh oh Fetterman opposes China buying land here. And uh, of course, everybody jumped in. Oh, why is China buying land here? I'm like, if you guys would literally just do like a two second Google search, you'd find out it's like a rounding error in the total amount of land that China owns. And like I, I told Josh that I'm like, hey, do this bad take. Like if you look into it just a little bit, you'll see that it's bullshit. And it's just posturing towards China. Um I don't know Rechtenwald's position real well. I haven't heard him talk a lot about China, but um, I think we would all agree that like, if you're going to be the libertarian presidential nominee, that should probably be one of your number one priorities. And obviously Israel and Ukraine, like all the foreign policy stuff is incredibly important. And also bringing it back to the, uh, to the, you know, Asia pivot, because that is the big target. That should always be a big part of the foreign policy messaging. If you're going to talk, about foreign policy i, I and think like if you want to own the democrats fucking take that issue and make it your number one issue because it is it must be i mean somebody's gonna finally exploit that that obama started the asia pivot and that it's hillary clinton and joe biden's you project. guys are such china hawks here yes and that was such <laughs> a great moment man i was so excited when that happened and so i know we all were and like that is such a point that they just the right wingers don't know and mm -hmm. so they need to hear it because they're being total cucks and <laughs> not just with Israel, but here on the China pivot too. I mean, you guys are like <laughs> Obama's bitch. Yeah. Pat. I think that, so there's two points, I guess the first one relates to what we were just talking about with RFK is I, I think like, so you, part of your question was the broader Liberty movement and the broader anti-war movement. And what does it mean? Where are we at? I, I even from from years ago, before I did anything with the Libertarian Institute, I was talking about how I think that the prospects for liberty truly cannot be influenced by people, individual people. I think it's a product of the world circumstance that the United States became the libertarian nation at the at least in the early phases because you had, rugged individualism that was produced by hard times right. and and us as advocates for liberty in a sense we're kind of fucked because 
to create something like that, you can't engineer it per se. If you're if you're a Hobbesian, if you're a Machiavellian, you can seize power by getting people of influence into these positions and change administrations that way and do that. I don't think that that's possible from a libertarian standpoint. So the circumstances of the world are going to have to create it by accident, whether it's the, the empire collapsing, producing a state where that just encourages individuals to be more libertarian. That might be what it takes. Maybe that's what we have to wait for and to happen. I think the same is true of the anti-war community as well, is that the anti-war movement is that we can be activists and that's valuable and we can try and influence things on the margins as much as we can. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be any act from us that creates a successful anti-war movement. It's going to be the people rising up because the circumstances of a given intervention are so blatant and so terrible and so primarily adverse to, to Americans living the lives that they want to live if we had to ask Americans to personally sacrifice, I don't think it would happen anymore. Maybe it happened in World War II, but again, that was an existential attack, or at least it was sold that way. Um, so I don't think that Americans are going to, in droves, oppose intervention like this unless the stakes are high and very high. So that's I, I my last yeah, I think bit. Yeah, I think what you're cracking at is basically like people would have to be incentivized to be moved in an anti-war direction. Uh, Conrail had one question. I guess we could probably hit this one real quick. Uh, what do you guys think of Malay? Um, I, I, I'm I, not like an anti or pro Malay, but like I think we can all admit that when you line up with a lot of American foreign policy goals, that's pretty strange. And then you're meeting with the Clintons and you're like this crazy Talmudic Zionist pretty weird but like you can look at his domestic policy and say like all that stuff and like he is you know doing deregulation abolishing agencies you could say all that stuff's cool but then you could also say that like the foreign policy stuff like the moral support for israel and ukraine. like the ukraine yeah the ukraine stuff as well very very strange and i don't like that but once again domestic policy and foreign policy in this respect we're looking at them separately um the domestics is great the foreign policy isn't so great um uh, i think it's Connor fun Gale. to watch yeah. okay but yeah. what if it's what if it's all being set up to be like oh well now we have a real test case of anarcho-capitalism being tried in the real world and it's going to fail spectacularly and then we're just resigned to our basements again yeah well we're going to go back yeah. they're going to tell us to go back to somalia except for instead of somalia it's going to be uh, argentina, argentina. <laughs> and it will be a better like it will be a better example than Somalia. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they're using the term anarcho-capitalist referring to him in headlines in the New York times. Yeah. And so I would be very careful once somebody gets to that level for how much ownership we take of him. Um, yes. You know, because quite frankly, I stopped paying attention to him once he was saying that uh, not just the Israel stuff, but I think what I was really getting uh, irritated with was this idea that uh, I'm going to decouple with any socialist state any state that has yeah. a socialist government and that is just i don't care what spin anybody wants to put on it that is the most antithetical libertarian stance you could take other than maybe going to war with another people there's this decoupling right. yeah. is like the most insane thing to advocate um it's why i don't see how we have like how 
libertarians can tolerate any rhetoric even approaching that when it comes to China, because it's just the especially for the United States, the number one imperative is that we maintain uh, our economic relationship uh, with right. China. I'm not saying that like this worked out great for all these uh, laborers um, here in the in the U.S. blue collar workers who had their uh, jobs shipped overseas. I'm not mm -hmm. saying any of that, and I'm not even saying that's good or bad or what, but. The fact is, is that the bipartisan establishment here is driving us rapidly to war with China. And one of the maybe the only thing standing in the way right now of that is uh, or the most important thing standing in the way of that is our economic relationship with China and just the amount, the trade, the massive trade volume we still have. But both Democrats and Republicans support sanctions and restrictions on trade with China right. and libertarians should be the people leading uh, the pr the protests in the street against those measures. This is the most ridiculous thing in the world. There's nothing I hate more than being told you can't trade with Venezuela because we have them under sanctions or Syria or North Korea, any of these You're people. Right. I would be buying things I don't even need from those countries just because of what the U.S. government has done to them, uh, starving their people to death and depriving them of medicine and vital necessities and goods. Um, and so just for someone to be called a libertarian who's just like, uh, putting their principles below their hatred of socialism. If that was just a guy you knew that you got coffee yeah. with every weekend as a libertarian, it would be like mm -hmm. at least something that you Water guys would argue about all the yeah. time. Uh, to have some like internationally known figure, let alone the head of a state doing stuff like that. And not only that, but like being like vehemently pro-Israel and pro-Ukraine in the midst of these proxy wars. And as Dan McAdams has pointed out, who's been like mm. running victory laps this whole time, just about every yeah. horrible thing Milay says or does. Um, I agree that the domestic policy, I haven't looked into it too much, but from what I hear about it, it sounds pretty good. But if those are still the economic policies, that's not good. And again, it's like Dan says, like, I'm not saying I'm for BRICS. I am for any of these organizations, whether it's the Shanghai Cooperation Organization or BRICS mm -hmm. that act as a counterweight to the American empire uh, in in the, the world, whether it's you know the World Bank, the IMF, NATO, the UN, all these different things. If we can find alternatives to them uh, or if like we can have a real multipolar order in the UN, that would be much better and not where just the US can override with its veto any Security Council resolution, for instance, calling for a ceasefire in Israel. There has to be some sort of change there because otherwise the UN is just toothless. But... So I'm not trying to join BRICS myself, but I think it's mm -hmm. a, it's a good thing in the grand scheme of geo of you know America of the world politics. Um, and he's refused to join BRICS, and so that's what Dan means is that at every turn, Milay is following American foreign policy dictates, um, right. and it's important for them to have somebody like that that they can easily influence in that part of the world. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, again, how cool would it be to have him being like the leading advocate for for America lifting sanctions on Venezuela so that he can right. trade with them so that libertarian businesses and small businesses in Argentina and the United States. Uh, and he can even he can even appeal to us for support. You know, my American libertarian friends all agree with me. Right, guys. And then we can go. Hell yeah, Mile. But like it's the relationship is not like that at all. Um, mm. You know, and I don't care. Like I'm not into the whole costume thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> what what a way to uh, end that one. Um, I guess uh, let's go ahead do plugs and we'll wrap this up. But I got one last clip that we'll uh, end the show on. Cool. Uh, all my stuff is going to be at the Libertarian Institute featured news section and the and the news article section uh, in the right hand margin. Conflicts of interest. Uh, my show with uh, news editor at the Institute Kyle Anzalone and uh, assistant news editor Will Porter. And uh, find me in the news section at antiwar.com. I sometimes write columns for antiwar.com too. And I'm on Twitter at Freeman's Mind 96.
Nice. Pat. Yeah, well, I'm I'm the Justin Raimondo Fellow at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, I have my show Vital Descent at vitaldescent.com. Uh, I'm a practicing attorney in, in Wisconsin. I have my own practice, criminal defense and family law, some other civil stuff as well. Um, so go check me out, subscribe. Nice. All right. Let me get this up here and then we will rock and roll out of here. I had to cut this. Expanded, by the way, you guys are such China hawks on here, but who started the China pivot? That was Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton who said, now's time to pick a fight with China. That Let was the same. I love how that just went under the radar. It's like, well, he just called you China hawks and there was no... <laughs> There was no repost, there was no rebuttal, nothing. Oh yeah, that that was I actually missed that when they were playing it. Like someone put like someone tagged me in that and said, Oh my god, Scott just called him a China Hawk, and all these people were like it. I'm like, these are my people. My people know me well. Hell yeah. So, yeah. I think right, when guys. they they know yeah. when they're outmatched, like when Dave or Pete or Scott go on there oh, and they start talking yeah. about China. They don't, like, oh, they shit, can tell very easily like, knows what they're talking about. Yeah. They'll yeah, back but off. They, see like Dave, when Dave, the camp went on, there it was funny. Phil and everybody started going after Dave, but you know, Dave's not that much. Like that was probably the angriest I've ever seen. Dave was when people were going, or when he was saying about from the river to the sea and Phil and Tim were going at him. Um, that was the only time I ever seen Dave get mad, but I could understand cause he was getting ganged up on, but Dave was right. Dave knows way more about foreign policy than, um, everybody on that panel. So, um, hell yeah, guys, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again because, uh, you know, I always enjoy talking to you. And so, um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap here. Um, thank you everybody so much for listening and watching until next time. Take care. Peace everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.